Well, hey everyone, welcome to episode 152 of Stop Collaborate and Listen. This week's episode features someone that has been photographing the landscape for over 30 years. He comes from the professional commercial space and in, now enjoys his time as a part-time professional fully employed in the IT world. I'd like to introduce you to Scott Walton. We had a fun conversation this week and covered a wide variety of topics, and uh, I really enjoyed Scott's style. He uh, shared some really fun stories and some heartfelt stories, and it was a lot of fun. He uh, he also t- talked to us about uh, how he chooses to photograph close to home versus going on epic adventures. He talked about finding an audience for your photography, uh, including getting published in, in Lenswork magazine, doing galleries, doing art shows, doing review events. We also talked about why he has not chosen to pursue a career as a full-time photographer. All right. Well, before we get started, I did want to tell you again about one of our most awesome Patreon supporters, Danny LeFrancois. Danny is the proud owner of Banff Photo Workshops and Tours in the beautiful Canadian Rockies. Over the years, I have really grown to appreciate both Danny and her incredible photography. She's super personable and down to earth. Danny runs private one-on-one personalized workshops and photo tours where she will help you with just about anything you can think of. Visit BanffPhotoWorkshops.com or go to the liner notes for the podcast to learn all about all the different options that Danny has to offer. As always, Check out the liner notes to the show to find links to everything we talked about. Okay, let's get to the show. All right. Well, Scott Walton, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, man, I'm really excited to talk to you. You've been been in the industry for a long time, which is always um, I always enjoy talking with people who've been around a long time because they have a lot different perspective than perhaps some of us younger, maybe not younger, but maybe less experienced people. So um, I think that's always fun. So uh, for maybe people that aren't familiar with you, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, sure. Uh, So I'm 58 years old, and I've been photographing the landscape for just a little over 30 years now. Uh, I started out in Columbus, Ohio, was raised there and went to school there, Uh, got a photography bachelor's degree from Ohio State, and worked for 10 years at a commercial photography studio in downtown Columbus. And that was a wonderful uh, experience getting to do just all kinds of, of different types of photography and uh, really enjoyed my time there. Uh, and then maybe about halfway through that period of time, I, I kind of got hooked on, on landscape. And so have just been uh, pursuing that pretty hard uh, ever since. And then about 23 years ago, I moved to Northwest Florida to be closer to uh, some family here. And so now I've been uh, living here and uh, you know, not working in photography, but uh, pursuing landscape uh, just as much as I can with uh, a lot of traveling each year and uh, to all our favorite locations out West. But I also try to photograph close to home when I can. So um, that's kind of a quick background on me. What uh, what kind of got you hooked on uh, the landscape stuff? 
Well, it's a good question. I was always mm-hmm. interested in photography, sure. even as a little kid. Um, uh, my grandmother actually gave me my first camera. She was a real shutterbug and gave me this little Kodak Bantam. And I was just, just always hooked on just photography in general. But I would say probably somewhere along the line, as I ran across Ansel Adams' uh, books and just, you know, became aware of him and sort of the whole West Coast school of photography, um, I just, you know, just got bitten by the bug and uh, was always an outdoors person. My uh, dad was a big outdoorsman, so spent a lot of time outside. Uh, and then my mom was a, a painter, so she was an artist. So I, I guess I sort of feel like the landscape photography is kind of like a mixture of the two of them. And so it's hard to say exactly what hooked me, but I definitely <laughs> uh, did and uh, and you know, went from there. Yeah. And what would you say about the availability of landscape photography in places like Columbus, Ohio? Well, um, believe it or not, even in downtown Columbus, while I was working at the photography studio, I was able to do a small version of landscape photography, just uh, finding little vignettes around the the town as I'd walk. But um, just a little bit outside Columbus, maybe you know, an hour in most directions, there's all kinds of, of you know, public land and nature. And so um, I was able to photograph a lot uh, in, those, in those years, um, probably most of it not very good at, at this point from my standards now, but I sure spent a lot of time trying. Um, like most places, probably once you get out of the, out of the city, you know, there's, there's some, some public land and, and natural areas, you know, state parks and things like that, that you can go to. So uh, sure. it wasn't, it wasn't too bad. Well, that's good. Uh, I always, I always uh, hear people that live, you know, east of the Mississippi complain about, you know, Oh, there's nothing to photograph. And I think, you know, I think that's mostly a myth if you just need to you need to just look a little bit harder. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. I mean, and I've absolutely made that statement uh, for sure or felt that way. Um, <laughs> but but you're totally right. I mean, if you just, you know, just work a little harder and look a little deeper, you can always find something. The one thing I, I think that's uh, a little more challenging, especially if you're not able to access you know, public lands, uh, there's a lot of rural areas around Ohio and, you know, my photography friends and I would, you know, get in the car and go cruising for snaps and driving and looking to see what you could find. But, uh, you know, people are really protective of their, of their private land and almost everything, you know, is some sort of private land. So you might be driving down some rural road and see a nice pond or, you know, an interesting tree or something. But, you know, as soon as you stop and set up your camera, man, sometimes people come running up and what are you doing? And, you know, they don't know if you're surveying or something, (laughs) they don't know what you're up to. And so I've had uh, more than a little bit of stress dealing with that kind of thing, which is, you know, no fun, right? You're out there to have a good time and, try to make something nice and not have a, you know, conflict with people. But I mean, people are always nice once you explain what's going on, but um, Mm -hmm. the good news about it, you know, a national park or a state park is that almost never happens. You know, that's pretty photography friendly in those places. Right. (laughs) Yeah. That's interesting. I've, I feel like um, photographing in those rural areas like that with lots of private property can be a big challenge. Um, And I think that's why a lot of people that live in that part of the country, tend to kind of head west whenever they can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing how much just more open space it is and, and it seems just more friendly to photography. So it's it, the west is a big draw for a lot of us, that's for sure. Right. Well, I was curious a little bit more about uh, your commercial work. I know that 
you had mentioned to me earlier that you've had some interesting stories uh, about some commercial work that you've done, photographing some famous people. And um, I think that's something most of us landscape photographers haven't necessarily experienced. But I'm wondering if there's a couple stories you might be able to tell that can maybe translate into something we can learn uh, as photographers. Oh, sure. Yeah, it was, um, uh, you know, the 10 years uh, that I was there was at the studio was it was really a wonderful uh, experience. And most of the time, it was just sort of normal everyday, you know, people coming in for portraits or setting up product shots or going off to some, you know, factory to, to photograph the widget, whatever it is, you know, just sort of normal uh, commercial photography stuff you might expect. But every so often there would be something, you know, even more exciting that would happen. Um, uh, Columbus being the capital of Ohio, there's uh, some, you know, big, big industry there and also a lot of, uh, you know, politics uh, things happen. So you all uh, every so often would, would get into something like that. Um, if we have time for a, a couple stories, I'll, I'll tell uh, the, the first one. Uh, about five o'clock one afternoon, we were sitting around kind of getting ready to close out for the day and the phone rings and it's the democratic party of Ohio calling and wanting to know, do we have a photographer who could do an event the next day in Cleveland? And uh, Mm -hmm. we're we're in Columbus, Cleveland is, you know, about a couple hours North of us. And they said, yeah, the president and vice president are coming and we need someone to come photograph them. And this was back when uh, President Clinton and and Vice President Gore were in office and they were coming there for an event. And uh, apparently whatever photographer they had had lined up had to cancel and because, you know, they had somebody local to to the Cleveland area. But um, because we were known in in the state generally for, for doing that kind of work, they called us and you know, do you have somebody to send? Well, my boss was already booked for something the next day that he couldn't get out of. So they just, they decided to send me. And, you know, this was kind of exciting because it's like, okay, give us the guy's full legal name, his social security number, because we have to vet him overnight to make sure that, you know, he's allowed to be next to the president. So we did all that. And then they said, of course, you know, we're not going to have the answer to this vetting until, until after, you know, you just need to head to Cleveland in the morning and we'll, <laughs> we'll let you know when you get there, whether or not it's going to be okay. And I thought that was, wow, that's crazy. So <laughs> that but, is crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, that's the way it was. So, okay, sure. So I, I, uh, headed up there. And when I was getting close to Cleveland on the freeway, all of a sudden the traffic came to a complete stop. And I thought, oh my gosh, no, it's an accident or something. I'm going to be late. But it turned out it was just, um, you know, when Air Force One lands and they, they put the president in the car and take him out, I guess they, uh, they just shut down the road. So once, oh, he, yeah. once he got away from that area, then the, the traffic opened right up and I made it on time, no problem. So it was, it was wild being there because, you know, you walk in and they tell you where you're supposed to go and you're, you walk in and it's, they've set up metal detectors. This is like in a, you know, ballroom from some hotel. And, uh, you know, there's the metal detectors that you have to put all your gear through and you have to hook all your camera and flashes up and actually flash them and show them that, you know, that they're actually working camera gear and not some, you know, something nefarious. Not a gun. Right, exactly. And speaking of guns, the I mean, no kidding, the Secret Service sharpshooters are walking around with their rifles. I mean, I'm seeing all this kind of behind the scenes stuff, really, you know, really crazy. And you 
get the so the sense of the import of all this. Well, anyway, uh, we were ultimately ushered into a small ballroom, and basically this was just a like a, a little thank you reception for people who worked on the campaign, and uh, it was going to just be a meet and greet, you know, grip and grin kind of a thing uh, with the president and vice president. And the way it worked was there were two of us photographers, and one followed the president around the room, and the other followed the vice president. And I was assigned to Vice President Gore, and so they had assembled all the people in groups around the perimeter of the room. And so when the president and vice president came in through this door, one of them went to the left and one of them went to the right and started meeting these groups that were scattered around the perimeter. So we just followed along and, you know, set, set up each group shot, took a few pictures, and then, you know, the president or vice president moved on to the next group and just, you know, went like that, circled around the room, passed each other at the halfway point and ended up, you know, back at the door where they where they uh, started and were photographing along the way. And then everyone broke out of their groups and, you know, sampled the food and had a little, you know, hobnob with them. And then it was over. They left and we left and that's all there was to it. But it was uh, an awful lot of excitement in a, in a short period of time. <laughs> and you were doing this all on what, 35 millimeter film? Or? That's correct. Yes. Uh-huh. Yep. Okay. Yep. We, I took uh, took the studio's Nikon gear up there with a big Mets Mets strobe with a big battery pack, and and yeah, that's exactly what it was. Wow, cool. So, did you come away with any really great shots, or how did you feel about it? Oh, it was fine. I mean, it was nothing spectacular. You know, they they weren't right. <laughs> they weren't fancy. You know, uh, didn't have much of an opportunity to to do anything like really special. It was just, you know, you were making pictures that were going to be gifts for these people, you know, when they okay. get their picture with the president and, and or the vice president. And so they could frame them and put them up in their, you know, their office. And, right. and that's, that's all it was. So it wasn't, it wasn't anything earth shaking photography wise. It was just more of an interesting story. Oh, but the one thing that was kind of cool after you were cleared through security, they give you this little lapel pin. And apparently the way the secret service works there's a, a different lapel pin for every event dur- during wow. the day, and it, and and they don't ever repeat them. Like it, it you know, there it's a, it's a little design that is just specific for uh, for that event. And the Secret Service guys know, you know, they've memorized what that uh, what that that pattern is, uh, what that looks like. And so, you know, if the guest, if the person doesn't have that on, you don't get in. And so I was wearing that. And, and then of course they let you keep that, uh, as a little souvenir memento thing afterwards, uh, which is really nice. And of course they aren't going to reuse them anyway, so it's, it doesn't matter, but it's, uh, you know, I have that little pin and that's kind of fun, uh, kind of a fun little memory. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, was there anything from that experience or from photographing another commercial shoot that has translated it all for you over into landscape in terms of, I don't know, like a teachable moment around expectations or, or around, uh, how you think about approaching a new scene for the first time? Well, yeah, I would, I would say, um, when you're working commercially like that, you know, you learn to be prepared and to have backups of everything and to, as best as you can think of everything that could, you know, could happen and go wrong. Cause as a professional, you need to bring those pic, you know, you need to bring back the pictures. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I would say, uh, even though the landscape is, you know, it's mostly just a hobby and it, you know, no one's going to know if I'm, if I miss a picture and don't get it, but you know, I'll know. And I guess that those years of preparation, uh, probably just, uh, drills into you to just to be prepared, think through your gear, make sure everything's working, 
and you know as best you can that way you you put yourself in the best position to capture what you what you need to capture what you want to mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's awesome uh did you have any other stories that you wanted to share yeah the other one that is kind of cool um and i appreciate it <laughs> forbearing all these sort of long stories, but um, there there was a, a a time when we got to photograph Dolly Parton uh, for a private for a private party, and this this was kind of a fun story. One of our commercial uh, clients was a, a steel processing company in Columbus, and we did pictures for them of their their products and their employees. But the uh, the founder of that company was turning, I think he was like turning eighty. And the son, who had sort of taken over as president, decided to throw him a birthday party, and he wanted to do kind of a surprise party. So uh, we were hired to document this whole thing, and uh, the the father and the family were going to go to their like their golf club just to have lunch on on a particular day, and and that was the the story was that, that that's what the the birthday celebration was it was just the family going to to have a nice lunch at their golf club. Well, what they didn't know is they'd bust a hundred of their closest friends up there, and it was like a surprise and. So, you know, we, the, the old man walks through the door and it's, oh, surprise, and it's a hundred people and, you know, having the, the fancy lunch. And so, you know, he thinks that's it. That's the nice surprise for his, his 80th birthday. And so we have the lunch and, you know, I'm taking pictures of all this stuff documenting. Well, then they say, okay, let's head back downtown Columbus where everyone started on, on the buses and we're going to have dinner down there. So we do that. We get back down to the convention center and, you know, you file into the ballroom and you have the the typical, you know, meal with everybody. And when it got sort of close to the end of the evening, the son gets up, who's playing host for this whole thing. And he says, you know, the time has come. The evening's about over. Time to sing happy birthday to my dad and have some cake. And he points to the door and in walks Dolly Parton with a microphone and a, and a guy with a guitar and some other guy pushing one of these giant cakes on a cart. And she proceeds to sing happy birthday to this guy. Well, of course the thing is Dolly Parton was his favorite singer, just, you know, loved her music all his life, had no idea of course that his son had, you know, hired her to come and and sing happy, sing happy birthday to him. So of course, you know, I'm again, photographing all this. And after she, they get done singing happy birthday, we go around every table and everyone gets their pictures made with Dolly. You're sort of seeing a theme here with that kind of thing. (laughs) And after we get done with all those pictures, she says, Hey, let's go next door and sing some songs. And everyone's looking at them, each other, and they don't know what that means. So we all walk out the door and go next door and it's a slightly bigger ballroom where they have a full stage setup with the full band, full sound system, lights, everything. And she proceeds to do a private, you know, hour and a half concert for these hundred people for this this birthday. And this is a completely wow. unadvertised, nobody in town knew she was gonna be there, no signage, all their doors were locked, you know. And of course, I'm photographing this whole thing and very exciting. And of course, everyone's just having the best time. And you know, what a surprise that was for this. This the, the father of this you know, this family and, and all these guests because the guests had no nobody had I mean I knew what was coming and that and there's only a couple of us that knew what was going to happen and it was really fun and that one was all shot on uh, on two and a quarter so on, on 120 film and I probably shot 25 rolls of film on that on that day and we made two giant like wedding albums full of eight by tens that were the proofs for that which you wow. know, got turned over to the 
you know, to the, this, this company. And then they, you know, picked what they wanted out of that to make, to make real prints. So, so anyway, those are my two sort of, you know, bigger deal celebrity type fun stories. Uh, you know, most days were just, you know, pictures in pictures out, shoot film, process film, make prints, but every so often there was some fun stuff like that to do. That's cool. Well, going back to, you know, what we were talking about earlier around landscapes and photographing close to home, how do you choose uh, what to photograph? Like, how do you decide whether or not you're going to, you know, go on a huge trip, like once in a lifetime or stay close to home? Like, what are, what is your thought process around that? Well, that's, uh, that's interesting. I, um, I kind of got hooked on, on the West, uh, like a lot of us do. Um, although I, ha- I wasn't always able to travel out West. And so when I first started landscape photography, I st- started close to home just cause that's where I was. Um, I've never really done any, you know, once in a lifetime trips. Uh, mostly it's just been re- repeatedly going to, um, places in the West. Uh, and you know, you can only do that so much during the year. You don't have that much vacation time. So if I'm lucky, I get to take, uh, three trips a year. Sometimes it's just two. And, um, um, so you know, to, for, for photographing in between then, you know, which I don't want to just only photograph, you know, two weeks a year, how sad is that? Uh, <laughs> right. so, so, you know, that, so then I am trying to photograph, um, uh, as I can al- along the way in my normal, uh, life close to home. And, um, so, you know, day in, day out, it's just exploring my local area, uh, and then, uh, planning, you know, for those, for those bigger trips, uh, usually out West or to some national park and, uh, then, uh, you know, doing those trips a couple times a year. And you do this, you do this full time, right? No, no, not at all. Uh-uh. Um, oh, okay. uh, I, I have a real job and um, <laughs> a real job, <laughs> quote unquote, real quote unquote. There, there, there were a couple of years where I, uh, was on the art show circuit. And so I, you know, at that point I was, I was full time. Um, but I only did that for a couple of years. And so no, the rest of the time I've just been a, you know, regular, uh, usually like it worker kind of thing behind the scenes production type person, uh, in various areas and, um, mm-hmm. just photographing in my free time when I can. It's, it's interesting. I, I have a lot of conversations with people in my travels about, you know, asking me if I'm going to, you know, quit my job and go full time. And they always are talking about, Oh, I, I've been really wanting to, to go full time. Has that bug got to you at all? And if, if so, like, how do you, like, I don't know, what, what do you think about all that? Well, it's, uh, you know, it's been in the back of my mind for most of my working life. Um, Mm -hmm. although I think I was pretty rational about it, figuring that it wasn't likely to happen. Like I, I look around and just see what it, you know, what it takes to do it. And, um, figuring that probably that you know, wouldn't be in the cards for me. Um, so, uh, other than a, a couple of years trying the, the art show thing, I haven't, um, you know, really tried to make anything else happen like that. Um, I would love to do some workshop assisting, 
Uh, I don't have the, I don't know, the ego or the drive to be like, try to be like, you know, the big name. But uh, in the few workshops that I've taken, I've really uh, related to the assistance that the, that the big name photographer has assembled around themselves. And so I really, uh, that's really enhanced my experience. So I thought, well, you know, I can't be the only one. So I thought, you know, assisting would be, it would be a nice thing to do. Um, but, the, you know, that hasn't happened either. So for the most part, I just uh, do my thing and uh, you know, try to promote my work a little bit as I can, but for the most part, no. Um, I, I think while everyone would, many people would love to be full time, I, I, it hasn't been a, a, real, a serious dream anyway. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. What, uh, what keeps you from thinking it would be a serious thing to pursue, or like what's holding you back from pursuing it? Oh, I just think there's so many people doing it that it's just one of those things like like do you really need another person teaching a workshop or something <laughs> like that? I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, cause I, cause I think workshopping is just about the only way to, to, if you look at most people that, you know, that that's what they're, they're doing, um, for the most part, I think, um, mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure there are a lot of prints being sold these days. Um, I mean, that's a whole other discussion, but uh, it just seems like even guys who are, you know, big name photographers, who do sell prints, you know, they're not making a living selling prints. It's mostly workshops. And so, um, uh, I guess I just figured that wasn't something I would, would be likely to succeed at probably. And, um, never really considered trying to like be my own, you know, workshop guy. Um, especially living where I live here in Florida, the like close to home is not a particular, uh, attractive area. Um, so you'd always be having to travel somewhere, which, you know, isn't a huge barrier, but, um, mm-hmm. anyway, I don't know. That's probably not a very complete answer, but it's just sort of the, the way my mind has worked on this one. No, I think it, I think it's good. Uh, I'm, I'm always surprised at how many people want to pursue it full time in terms of like, I don't know if people have actually sat down and thought about the actual financial implications of doing that and how they would pull it off. I think it it would be an exceptional amount of work to even be moderately successful. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I mean, that's that's been my um, my observation, and and you know, even in the the art show world, I mean, when you calculate what what you have to make each time and how many shows you can do during the year. Yeah. It seems really, really tough way to tough way to make a living. For sure. For sure. And you know, you well, risk turning something that you love into something you, you may not love. Once you, I know, I know it, it, it depends, but yeah, that's, that is tough. Um, well, speaking of art show, I think another topic that I was hoping to talk to you about was kind of this idea of how to find your audience or how to find an audience for your photography And um, I'm just curious, over the years since you've been doing this, what are some of the ways that you found that work in terms of uh, finding an audience for your work that, and maybe the kind of like the pros and cons of each of those uh, methods Mm -hmm. of finding an audience would be interesting to talk about as well. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. Um, uh, I've definitely tried a lot of different things over the years and 
probably after we get done talking about them all, yeah, it'll, it'll be kind of <laughs> obvious that I haven't been, you know, massively successful in any of them. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the first things I, I tried to do uh, was was uh, find gallery representation. So, you know, it seems like that's something everybody wants to have is have their work carried in a gallery. And so uh, when we moved here to Florida, uh, we're, we're kind of a, a touristy area here near the beach. Um, and so there's lots of little galleries all the time around here for people who are, you know, decorating their beach condos. And so of course I take my Western Canyon photos and, <laughs> and go down to these beach galleries and, you know, sure enough, they, they would take me. And I think over the years I was represented by about four different galleries. Now, again, these are small, no name. I mean, I say no name, it, not like a big name photography gallery, like, like you might think, okay. These sure. are just you know, small, you know, one person operation. Um, mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, they were always interested in my photographs and always took me when I would approach them. And, um, and so, you know, you put a dozen or so pictures in there and they would sell, you know, a few prints over a, a couple of years and then they go out of business. Mm-hmm. And so then you have to deal with, you know, getting the pictures back and going through all that and then looking for the next place. And you, you know, figure it out and approach the next place and ask them. And they, they say yes. And take, and, you know, basically rinse and repeat. And mm-hmm. after, after about four like that, I, I kind of just gave up. I mean, um, and that's my fault that I didn't uh, pr- pursue maybe, you know, more national type galleries. Although again, I've tried to be kind of humble and realistic about it, realizing there's so many good photographers that these big name national galleries don't need me. Uh, I know you don't know if you don't try, but anyway, uh, (laughs) but uh, so, uh, so, you know, yeah, I had the gallery representation uh, sequential over the, over the years and, and it's nice. I mean, uh, you know, it looks good on the website and it's nice to feel like, you know, you're represented by somebody and, and when the prints sell, it's nice, but you know, there's not that much, uh, you know, by the time they take their cut. um, I mean, I would have to say, at least in my case, it wasn't, as it really wasn't worth it given just the hassles surrounding all of it. Um, it, it probably just ended up not being worth it for me, which is probably why I, ne- I didn't continue after, you know, the fourth gallery went out of business and I got my pictures back and I just kind of stopped pursuing that, uh, that angle. Uh, yeah. That's, that's been my experience with, uh, galleries as well. Um, although similar to you, I've never been in, you know, a huge gallery. And back when I was in a gallery, it was pretty early on in my photography career. And admittedly, my photos weren't very good. Uh, Mm. But even still, I mean, I recently did an art show, kind of my own personal gallery. It it was, it's kind of hard to describe, but I, this guy had had a space and he let me put my photos up in it. Mm. And um, I was able to sell almost all the photos, but just, the amount of work that went into promoting it, hanging the work, buying the work, mm-hmm. you know, advertising, just everything else. I mean, yeah, I probably made, I don't know, three or $4,000 in the end, but gosh, you know, two or three very targeted print sales, you know, you can do just as good as that. So I think mm-hmm. it's all mm-hmm. in where you want to put your efforts. Um, uh, what are some other ways that you've um, tried to pursue this? Yeah. So, um, 
one of the things I always wanted to do was, uh, you know, get get published uh, in, in certain ways. And I've been a subscriber to a Lenswork magazine mm-hmm. uh, for many, many years. I think I started back in 1996 or seven, and have uh, continuously been a subscriber. And always uh, really appreciated the quality of their printing and just you know the quality of the work that they have. And it was just one of those dreams, you know, wow, one day maybe I'll be able to have a portfolio, you know, in there. And so, uh, a few years ago I started submitting and, um, definitely, you know, had more rejections than, than successes, but I, I did finally get one portfolio, uh, published in the Lenswork magazine. And so, uh, I was really happy about, about that. Now, it, as it turns out, it actually was not a landscape, uh, a group of images. It was, a uh, Civil War coastal defense fort that is is here along oh, the, interesting. the Gulf Coast. Yeah. So it's a kind of a, you know, a disused kind of a, a building, which for me anyway, following the, what I call the West Coast School of Photography, you know, those sort of disused buildings are, are kind of fair game. For, it seems like a lot of landscape photographers will also photograph, you know, abandoned buildings, that kind of thing too. So it kind of fit in that with me. But uh, anyway, yeah, I just uh, explored this this fort with some friends one time and then saw the the potential for a project there and went back about three times and and just uh, photographed it and sent the work in and sure enough they they really liked it and and wanted to publish it. So, uh I was, you know, finally uh, happy to have achieved that goal of uh of finally getting published in Lens Work, which is, uh, you know, a magazine that I love uh, for so many years. Uh, and then a few years after that, uh, I did get a, a group of landscapes uh, published in another one of their uh, periodicals. For a few years, they were doing something called Seeing in Sixes. Yep, yep. And, okay, so you're familiar with that, a six-image projects, and uh, you would submit to those, and they would select 50 people and, and produce a book with a, with those people's six-image projects. And so I had a, a little group of cypress trees that, that I'd photographed over in uh, East Texas, and they uh, worked together pretty nicely, and they liked that group, and so they, they put that in one of those Seeing in Sixes books. So um, – so yeah, that was that was nice, and um, uh, you know, I would say uh, I, nothing ever came of of it. You know, from either of those two publications, I mean, it was you know, like I never got any emails or any comments or any you know, oh let let us publish the work or let us show the work or anything you know, nothing like that, which is a little surprising. I guess I didn't know what I was expecting, but um, but you know, it was still nice to to have done that. And it's nice to have those. Uh, probably the first place I ever was published was um, in the uh, Photographing the Southwest series of books uh, by Laurent Martre. Oh, yeah. uh, I was fortunate enough to meet him back in, I think, 1997 on the rim of Horseshoe Bend <laughs> in Arizona. Where's I'm, that? No, I'm just uh, kidding. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. I have no idea. Uh, and of course, back then it wasn't like it is, you know, in any way like it is today. I mean, he and I were like the only people there and I'm set up on the room with my view camera and, and he's out there with his wife and their dog. And so, you know, we just get chatting and it turns out he's planning this 
this photographic guidebook and, you know, did I have any images? Would I like to contribute? And I'm well, sure, you know, so I give him my website and he, you know, picks a few things. And so I've been a continuous contributor to his books now since the very, very first issue That's and, cool. uh, and continuing to now. So, yeah. And it's, I mean, I've been good friends with him and, you know, we've gone on trips together and so forth and it's been fun. And uh, uh, so that was probably my, my first, uh, publication thing and and one I'm I'm really proud of. Yeah, that's cool. I'm always um, I had a similar uh, thing happen to me somewhat recently where I had like a article in the local newspaper like on the front page about my photography and then I had another article in the alternative newspaper and I was you know neither of them they just kind of came out of nowhere and I was excited about it and you know I. I was like, oh man, this is going to be huge. I'm going to get all kinds of people wanting to check my stuff out. And like, no, <laughs> nothing. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Isn't it funny? I mean, it's just, you think it's going to going to be something. And, you know, I, I mentioned that a minute ago about nothing ever coming from those lens work things. And, I, and, and then I realized, well, you know, how many people do I email after I get my lens work issue and tell them, oh man, I really liked your pictures and you're asking right. questions. And I realized, yeah, never. So after that, I resolved that I would do that. You know, I would oh, start yeah. to just, you know, why not just shoot somebody an email and say, Hey, you know, I really enjoyed this or ask them a question or something. And I, you know, I've made some nice acquaintances that way. And, um, so I, you know, I think you have to kind of reach out and do that, but yeah, I think people are more interested in just seeing what's out there and then going and doing their own thing, I guess. I, I'm not sure. Yeah. Although I think, um, what you just said makes a lot of sense. And I think w once I realized that, you know, the landscape photography community is actually pretty tight knit and pretty close. And mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of really fantastic people in this community. I think, you know, reaching out to people, um, I think is a great way, you know, not only to, you know, kind of perpetuate the community aspect of things, but it's also a great way to just, you know, meet new people and make friends. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I have been able to do that and, and it is nice. Um, uh, you know, I made a number of friends on some workshops over the years who I've stayed in touch with, but yeah, I mean, it just like guys, you see their work. If you just, you know, ping them on Instagram or send them an email or something. Yeah. Everyone's really nice and, and nice. It is a nice community that, that, you know, they'll respond to you and answer your questions and so forth. Yeah. It's been, it's been really nice that way. Yeah, definitely. Well, we can, we'll talk a little bit more about, um, making friends at workshops a little mm -hmm. bit later. Um, I think the other two things that I was hoping to hear from you about around finding an audience for your work is art shows. I know it's actually, um, you know, I just had Alex Burke on the podcast and he, he's done a lot of art shows and I've gotten a lot of questions from people like asking for advice on doing art shows and what advice do you have for people thinking about doing art shows? Cause obviously you've done it and you don't anymore, which I think probably is somewhat telling. Um, <laughs> so what's your experience been like? Yeah. So, uh, in my case, um, uh, I, uh, where I live is, is, I think is one of the biggest hindrances, um, because you have to have sort of ready access to a show or to a group of shows that doesn't take you three days to get there. Hmm. And so, you know, I live in Northwest Florida and so Florida has a ton of art shows. I mean, just a ton, but there are all these coastal focused 
shows where people are looking for decoration for their, you know, their condos or whatever. And, uh, so, you know, again, me with Western Canyon pictures, um, you know, they'll sell, but not enough to, to make it worth it. And so, um, but, but it's easy to get into some of these shows in Florida, uh, that maybe not as selective. And there's a, there's a group that, that puts on shows and just, you know, like every weekend you could be in a show in some town up and down the, the peninsula hmm. of Florida. And, uh, but you know, for me, it's like, okay, it's a day's drive or two days drive. So then you're, you know, you're staying overnight and then, you know, you've got all these expenses and then you have to come home or reprint, turn around and go back out again. And it's just exhausting mm-hmm. what I found. Now, once I figured that, that part out and realized that what I needed to do was be going to some shows that weren't these coastal shows that were more inland where they weren't focused on a particular sort of kind of, of art or style of art, just generally art, like just in, interior to the country. So then I did a few of those and those were the best shows, uh, shows over in, in Texas, like Dallas or Houston or up in even just Birmingham, Alabama for me were some big shows. And it's like, wow, if I could do that every time, you know, you could actually think about, about making a living at it. Um, but once again, it's still, you know, so much travel, you know, it's like two days drive, dragging a trailer to get over to Texas and, it just ended up being so much work. And of course I'm doing it by myself because my wife stays here and, and, you know, doing her work. And so, you know, you're by yourself and you're, it's a lot of physical work. And then, you know, if the money wasn't that great and then you're dealing with the weather and there's just, there's a lot. So the, the, the real bottom line is, you know, you really have to count the cost um, and figure out, uh, you know, whether you can, whether you can make it work. But I think you you have to probably go through a couple of years to figure out what shows are the shows that are going to work for you. And of mm-hmm. course, you don't always get, you know, you can't, they're all juried. You can't count on getting into a show. Uh, so, you know, you got into a show last year and you did great, but you might not get into it next year. Well, okay, great. Now what are you going to do? And so then you're scrambling for, you know, for what what's next. But I think if you lived in a larger city or even found yourself uh, located between some big cities that have some big shows, it might be a lot easier to just deal with those logistics living kind of out in the middle of nowhere where I live, where there aren't a lot of the kind of shows that I, I should have been in with, with my type of work. Uh, it just really wasn't the best, the best plan. Yeah. I'm, I'm guessing too, that there's a pretty substantial upfront investment to even get started in terms of, you know, purchasing a tent and the hanging hardware, and then obviously, you know, printing printing enough copies of your work so that you have something to show people. I, I could see, I could see that being a pretty significant investment. It is, and um, I kind of did it on the cheap. I figured I'd, you know, I'd get the lower cost display material, you know, tent material type things uh, to, to start with, and then if I was gonna you know, stay at it for a while, then, you know, you can buy the fancier, nicer, uh, gear, but, uh, so, but it's absolutely right that you have to, to prepare a lot of inventory. And even with my sort of, you know, modest sales, I mean, I still found myself, you know, you run out of pictures and you're, you know, you have to hurry home and print more and frame more and then head back out again. And so it is, uh, it's not, you know, glamorous at all, but here's the thing. And I will say this, I look back on those couple of years that I did that, 
very fondly in, in this way, there is like no other way to, to get that many people in a short period of time in front of your pictures who are interested in them, who, who are interested in art. They're there to, you know, buy, if not look, and they, and they want to talk to you about them. They want to know about them and the locations. And, and it's just really satisfying to be able to just stand in your little tent and just talk about your photography with people who are interested. And that part was really, really satisfying. And I, mm-hmm. you know, kind of missed that a little bit because it was, it was really nice. Did you did you leverage that experience at all to kind of build a email or mailing list? I didn't. I mean, I took people's names and uh, and emails, and I still have this little book where people wrote that in. But I just never got into that. And then once I stopped doing it, I guess I didn't feel. I mean, I still don't have like a, a, an email list, and so. Hmm. You know, I probably should have, uh, but I didn't. But it's interesting. Every so often, you know, once every couple of years, somebody will contact me. Hey, I saw you at this show. And that's been 10, that's been 15 years now. Uh, and I bought this, you know, eight by 10 size of this thing. Now I need a 16 by 20 of it because I just like it so much. And I want, you know, something like that. Well, I mean, it doesn't happen all the time, but it did been a few times over the years where people, you know, years later, they'll pop up and, and contact you again for something after they, you know, remember seeing you all those years ago. So it's neat that, that, you know, I mean, I sold, you know, hundreds of prints over those couple of years and, you know, mostly small, you know, eight by 10, sure. 14 size prints, but to know that you know, all those people have those prints hanging in their, you know, their house or their office or something. It's nice. Every so often I think about that and that, you know, you've made a little bit of an impact there and that those people are probably, you know, some of them anyway, hopefully are still enjoying those pictures. Yeah, I think what you said makes a lot of sense in terms of that being one of the best ways to get people to see your work and to perhaps grow an audience. I hadn't necessarily thought about it that way before, but it definitely, you know, that you could almost think of doing the art show circuit as a marketing tool. <laughs> mm, yeah, I would. I mean, it would be um, be a lot of work, but yeah, I, su- I suppose that, that that could be the case. And of course, you know, again, it's been a lot of years since I was doing this and, you know, I was doing large format and there was no digital yet. And so sure. I can only imagine what, what the competition is now, just the, pho- the photography competition for these shows, because, you know, you can make stunning images, you know, with digital cameras, and, you know, and so many more people doing it. And so I imagine it's, it's maybe even harder, um, to, to get into these shows and, and to compete with the other photographers at those shows uh, than it was when, when, you know, my big prints from, from large format were, you know, looking pretty good compared to what, you know, most, most people were doing there. Right. Yeah, no, that's, that's true for sure. Uh, one of the other things you said that uh, is an interesting way of getting people to see your work is uh, through review events. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there are a few of these events uh, around the country. Uh, the one I went to is Houston Photo Fest. Um, there's, uh, I think it's, is it Photo Lucida up in Washington? I think it's Washington State. I know there's one in uh, Atlanta and there are probably others. And the the story with this is you uh, you pay to go to this event and and the organizers bring in uh, people from the art industry so gallery directors museum curators uh, publishers uh, like that and they set you up with appointments and basically every day you will have four or five appointments 
like 20 minutes long with one of these people. And so you will sit down at a little table and you'll pull out your portfolio and you'll show your work to this person. And then they'll give you feedback. And, you know, ideally they'll say, oh, yeah, we want to exhibit that or we want to publish that or whatever. Uh, but if nothing else, they'll, you know, help you ma- maybe make contact with somebody else or if nothing else. They'll give you feedback on your work, how you can improve it or something like that. And so you have 20 minutes with this person and then, you, you know, they, they sound the alarm and you pack up your work and you move over to the, to, to your next appointment and you, and, and you're, and you just do that. And you have about like four or five of these a day for a week. So, um, after, after I was published in lens work, uh, Brooks Jensen, the publisher there suggested that I, uh, you know, do these review events. So I signed up for Houston photo fest, which is like the closest one to me and is a pretty well known one. And, um, you know, went over there and, and went through the process and, uh, I mean, it was very interesting, but it was, for me, it was disappointing, um, showing, you know, traditional straight landscape photographs that turns out is not what the current art world wants to see. Hmm. Uh, and they were all very nice to me, but in no uncertain terms, uh, you know, I was told that kind of work was out of favor with the art, with the art world. And of course, the other thing in my, in my case was they don't tell you who the reviewers are before you sign up. So, you know, you sign up and you pay your money. And then at some point later, you realize who, who the people are. And I mean, I sat down with like the photo editor of uh, National Geographic and the, and the museum director of the Boston Museum of Art. Well, come on, I have no business <laughs> talking to those people. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's whoever they bring in, right? It's not like I could choose but you know, I don't think for one second that my pictures belong at the Boston Museum of Art. But yet, that's who they sign you up to talk to, you know. And so, you know, you're sitting down across the table with these people that don't, you know. I mean, they're again, they're very nice. They're you know interested in your pictures or complimentary, but they don't want to do anything with them. And you know, after a few days of this, you kind of figure out that that's what the whole week's going to be like. And in fact, it, it was. Um, and so I would start asking these folks, well, you know, could you point me in a direction? Like, is there a gallery that you know of that might be interested in this? And literally none of these people could tell me wh- who I should call, where I should go to do anything with my, you know, landscape photographs. It just was not on their radar. It's amazing. Hmm. And so many other other participants, they were all like, you know, MFA, you know, grad student types that are all just looking to, you know, for publishing credits and exhibit credits and because, you know, they're all teachers. And Mm. uh, so I was kind of the odd odd person out, I guess. And so, you know, I probably really didn't have any business going to that one. Now, but on any given year, they they do it every two years. And on any given year, you know, there could have been a publisher or somebody that would have been interested. Like I've mentioned Brooks Jensen, he goes to that photo Lucida. Uh, every so often. And, you know, he's looking for people to publish in lens work. Well, you know, I would be had perfectly, uh, you know, aligned with that if, if there had been him or somebody like him, you know, at, 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 as one of my reviewers, but it just didn't work that way for the time that I went. So, you know, I'm it was curious. very interesting. Go ahead. Yeah. 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 I was going to say, I'm curious, um, what were they looking for? <sighs> conceptual, <laughs> conceptual art conceptual art. Um, so like, give me an example of what that uh, would look like. Well, if it's pretty, then they're not interested in it. 
conceptual is it's got to, it's, mm. there's got to be some big subtext context behind the thing. And it's got to tell some kind of crazy story. And if it's, you definitely don't want it to be pretty, uh, it needs to be stark, banal, uh, you know, co- combination prints of all kinds of things thrown together. I mean, I don't even know how to describe it, but, um, mm. you know, Multimedia. landscape photography, the way you and I practice it, not even, not even close. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it was very, and it was, you know, really interesting because you're looking at everybody else's pictures and they have times when you can, everyone gets a little table and sets their stuff up and you can wander around and look at it all and see what's there. And, um, yeah, it was not at all the kind of thing I do. So interesting, <laughs> very interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, that's interesting. Um, I'm kind of curious, kind of a different angle to this whole piece of the conversation and going back to um, your lack of desire, I guess, to become a full-time professional, what motivates your photography? Like, why do you go out and shoot? Yeah, well, this is a, that's a really good question. And one that uh, as I get older, I'm, you know, maybe dealing with a little more. Uh, I definitely just love to be, you know, be outdoors. I mean, people always say photograph what you love. And, uh, you know, I've been an outdoorsman always, I'm, you know, hiking, biking, skiing, climbing, something like that. And so uh, just like to be outside. And so, you know, photographing that it kind of make, uh, made sense. And then, you know, you get hooked on seeing these amazing pictures by, you know, the Mansell Adams and his, his ilk. And, uh, then you just feel like, man, I'd like to learn to do that and start to do that. And so, uh, especially for many, many years, you know, your, your motivation for that is, is, you know, learning how to do that. And then, accomplishing that just you know building that portfolio and just wanting to to make pictures like you've seen other people make and see the places that you're seeing other you know people have gone to and then of course exploring on your own as well so that's you know that's really the motivation and and I would say that I'm I'm still very driven I think you know most of us many of us are are just driven you just feel compelled to to go photograph because you just you know, we're creative beings and you just feel compelled to create something. And, and so, you know, I, like, I can't wait for my next trip, right. I'm, you know, you're thinking about it, you're planning it, you, you know, you, you can't wait. Um, uh, but as far as like an end use for the pictures now, that's the part that, uh, that, you know, the motivation coming from that, that part of the process is, is kind of, uh, you know, what I'm dealing with is a little harder to, to deal with, but as far as, you know, being motivated to, you know, grab the camera and go, that's no problem. I'm just, I always want to get out there and, and create something and see, see what I can find. But the, I am starting to, to deal with a little more about the why now of that, that I, where I wasn't before, it was just sort of, uh, obvious, you know, I just want to go do it, but now it's, I'm starting to think more and maybe we'll talk more about that part of it is, you know, sort of the why behind it. Well, it's interesting you bring that piece of it up because I think that's that's been a conversation I've had here on the podcast probably with the last, gosh, four guests now. And it's um, something I've been thinking about a lot too is, you know, there's more to, well, should there be more to my photography than just taking, you know, pictures that I think look amazing and are pretty and, you know, perhaps tell a documentary story about about my experiences, like, should my photography have deeper meaning than that? And um, I, for me personally, I know 
I want the I want myself to say yes. Like I need my photography to be more than that, but I don't necessarily know how. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I'm completely with you. Uh, I know you've you've interviewed Guy Tal, and and I've read read him a lot, and you know he he kind of has an answer to this. Uh, although I'm not sure I can understand it completely. <laughs> But, you know, he, he wants to go out and have an experience in, in the landscape. And then uh-huh. if the experience is such that he, he feels moved to photograph, then he might photograph. But, right. but going out for him, photo, photography is not the object. Whereas, you know, for me, for all these years and all my photography friends, I mean, that's absolutely the object. We're going photographing today, you know, or this week or whatever. And right. we're so somehow he's doing, he's achieved, you know, a, a different level or a different way of thinking about it or something where, you know, he may or may not photograph, but, it, but the point is to have an experience that makes him want, you know, might make him want to photograph. And again, I still don't quite understand that exactly, but it sounds interesting. And I'd like to sort of figure that out. I mean, I guess I feel like I, I have an understanding of kind of generally what he's saying around that in terms of, you know, being out in nature and having that experience um, can lead to you having an experience that then motivates you to take to, to make a photograph that perhaps has a deeper meaning than just that experience. I think I understand that, and I and I think that's that's great. Um, but it doesn't feel to me anyway like it's intentional in terms of you know like. I want my photographs to accomplish X, Y, and Z, or I want um, like, you know, almost like a photo project perspective. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. like I want these photographs to be all about this thing so that I can possibly move the dial on this thing that I'm passionate about or, or whatever. And I think there, I mean, there's probably some overlap between those two approaches, but I don't feel like just going out, and experiencing nature and making photographs quite gets me there, at least for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm curious. What do you think about that? Well, I, I mean, I, I would, would agree with that. I think if you had some reason, like a conservation reason for, you know, maybe there's a threatened, you know, piece of land somewhere and, and you've got a reason to go out and try to document it and do something you know, to bring attention, like whatever, like that, then, you know, that's, that's a serious project and would be a terrific motivation for, for going to, to, to photograph. Um, and then, you know, even if it's not a particular piece of land, if you just had an idea for a, a more overarching project uh, where it might, you might photograph in a lot of different places, but it's all on a certain theme. And maybe that it's because you plan on getting that thematic work published or something. Now you've got like a reason to go, you know, and a reason to right. look at them. And, um, so, you know, that, that's good. I, you know, now if I think if you are, uh, represented by galleries and you need to have fresh work all the time, for example, you know, there's a real reason to continue to photograph, right? I mean, if you're selling your pictures and you need to, you know, have new pictures to put in your gallery or to give to your design consultant person who's placing your work in, you know, architectural and hospital settings. I mean, whatever those kind of, you know, economic reasons, but still they're, you know, real reasons to, to go make new work. Um, but you know, from maybe a lot of us that don't really have that kind of thing, uh, then it's, you know, it's harder. 
And mm-hmm. now, you know, there's places you love to be, right? Like you love, I love the Southwest. I, I was in Zion in, in October and been there, you know, going there for many, many years. And it's such a, just a nice place to be. And, you know, there's places all over the country like that where you just like to be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, you just feel good when you're there. And so maybe just photographing out of that experience of, of just making that place, you know, part of you a little bit, uh, you know, might, might get you there as well. Yeah. And I think sometimes, I mean, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but sometimes I think it's okay that, you know, you know, beauty, the beauty of nature sometimes maybe is enough. I mean, I think, um, I don't know, like you've probably had this experience, but you know, when people are with you and they're looking at your photographs and you can kind of see it in their face and their eyes, like, you know, the, they're, they have a look of wonder and they're like, mm-hmm. they having, they're enjoying seeing the beauty of nature and it's changing their mindset and they're, you know, they're having a, a positive experience. And I mean, I've heard people say things like, I mean, maybe not for my work, but I've heard other photographers say things, have had clients say to them, like, your photography has changed my life. And when I think about that from, you know, looking at, you know, some of my my photos that I like, um, if someone ever said, your photography has changed my life, part of me would go like, really? But then the other part of me would go like, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe maybe that is the purpose for us nature and landscape photographers, right? Yeah, uh, I think I think uh, it certainly could be. Um, I uh, have definitely had that experience happen to me once, mm. and um, it's been you know uh, something that's really really special to me. Um, I don't know if did you want to do you want to do that story now or do you? Wanna I would love that. Yeah, save that. Okay, so. Uh, one place that I, uh, was working one time, I had an office and, uh, uh, put up my, some of my landscape photos just to, you know, decorate my office. And so a a coworker, a new coworker comes in one time and she sees these prints and she's just blown away. Like she's just never seen anything like this. And she's asking me, are these places real? You know, these are really places you could go to. And you know, it must must have been stuff like, you know, Antelope Canyon or Coyote Buttes or the subway or, you know, something like that. Places that look, you know, pretty fantastical really, if you, if you weren't aware of them, you know? And uh, so, yeah, yeah, these are real places. And she started asking me, you know, where are they? And what does it take to get there? And, and so, you know, this happened over the course of, you know, a few weeks or months where she would just, just be amazed at these photographs. And finally she says, okay, uh, my husband and I want to start visiting these places. We, we want to plan a trip and go see some of this stuff. So, you know, can you help me? So sure. Uh, you know, they came over to the house and I pulled out all my prints and we'd go through them and she'd make a pile of, you know, this is, these are the places I'd like to visit. And, and, uh, you know, helped her put together an itinerary of, uh, you know, just a typical kind of a Southwest tour, uh, you know, that you might do. But these are people who'd never, never been out there or done anything like that before. And uh, now they're very fit people. I mean, you know, they're marathoner type people. So, you know, getting to any of these places wasn't a problem, but they just, you know, needed the logistics and know how to do it. So anyway, helped them, helped them put together a trip. And uh, when the summer came, they took off and did their trip and, and then came back and they were just blown away. They just had the best time. Couldn't believe the places they saw. I mean, they just, you know, got lucky and got permits to Coyote Buttes North and they got a, you know, permit to the top down subway route and hooked up with someone who could help them with the, the technical, you know, route there. And so, I mean, they just had the best time. And so as soon as they got back, it's like, okay, we need to plan the next trip. 
And there was like no delay. It's like, let's look at the next places and how, you know, what are the next places we want to see and, you know, help, help us again. So I, you know, I did that and they, and they, this started to become like an annual thing with them and they just, you know, widening their circle of places they visited and having more and more experiences. And it wasn't too many years of them doing this each year that, that the lady came to me and said, you know, this has really changed our life. Your photography has changed our life because we have found this activity of this adventure travel to these places that are just so meaningful to us. And we never would have thought to do it. And so we know we're so grateful. And so I thought, wow, that's pretty amazing to have someone, you know, say that to you. Mm -hmm. And so uh, they just kept doing this. And that after a few years of this, you know, they don't need me to help help them find places anymore. They're doing their own thing. And they got hooked on the the Sierra and doing, you know, high altitude hiking and things beyond anything I'd ever done. Well, they probably did this for, you know, 10 or more years. And every time I would see them, they'd, she'd say the same thing to me about how this had changed their lives. Cause they just, you know, when you get hooked on this, it's like, I don't want to say it's all you think about, but it's, it's close to all you think about, you know, you're, you're working up planning a trip and then you execute the trip. And as soon as you get back, you know, you're planning the next one. And this was just a cycle and they, they just were hooked. And so, um, after about maybe, you know, 10 or so years of this, uh, unfortunately the lady came down with pancreatic cancer. Oh man. And so, you know, she was pretty sick and had to go through the whole chemo thing and that knocked them out of their adventure travel for what, for a se- one season while she uh, recovered a bit and got her strength back. And then the next year they were able to go and do it again. And they had, um, uh, you know, one other great trip in the Sierra hiked a hundred miles, even though she was, you know, recovering from, from this cancer. And, uh, and again, just, you know, it was their favorite place to be. They just couldn't wait to be there despite all the, the challenges. Well, unfortunately the cancer came back and she started to have to go through the chemo again and was real sick again. And so one thing I did, I, I called her up and said, Hey, pick a photograph from my website someplace, something you'd like to look at while you're at home and I'll print it up, frame it up, bring it over. And then after you, you know, look at it for a few months or whatever, pick a different one and I'll print that up and bring it over and we'll just kind of do a rotation like that. So that was nice. I mean, she, you know, we went through two or three different pictures like that over the course of of her time. And it was nice to be able to be there with her and and share this with her. But unfortunately, as as so often happens with that pancreatic cancer, um, she ended up succumbing to it Mm. and, and passed away. So we're at her funeral. And, you know, this church is full of people and sitting there just one of hundreds of people and they're doing this celebration of life, talking about the things she loved. And all of a sudden they start telling this story of her coming into my office and seeing these photographs. And they're, you know, mentioning my name at her funeral. I'm like slinking down in the, in the <laughs> pew, you know, like, why are you talking about me? And they're telling this story of how important it was to her that, that they got started on this path of this, you know, this adventure and hiking and stuff. And they credit, credit to me, you know, in front of all these people. And I just couldn't believe it. And so, you know, you start to realize, man, they, they're really serious. They weren't just, you know, pulling your leg when they tell you every so often how you changed their life. They're, you know, they're doing it at her funeral. Well, a couple of weeks later, her youngest son, I run into him 
And he says, now he'd grown up as they were doing these adventures. And he said, you know, all this time my parents would talk about you and we just roll our eyes about, yeah, you changed my life kind of thing. I, he said, I didn't really get it. But he said, now I really do. He said, I wouldn't have had the the experiences of doing like world travel that I've ended up doing if it hadn't been for my family adopting this lifestyle. Turns out he, because of him being dragged on these trips with his parents, he got the bug for traveling and he ended up doing one of these around the world year long service, youth service programs that, that people do. And while he was doing that, he met his future wife. And so as he's telling me this story shortly after his mom's funeral, he's engaged and about to get married. And he said, you know, I didn't really get it before, but he said, now I do. My, you know, my life has now been impacted by, you know, by who I'm going to marry and the, and the course of my life because of what you were able to instill into my parents. So, you know, whatever it is you're doing, keep doing it. Hmm. And so I, I just thought, oh my gosh. So now here's two generations of, you know, of impact. And, you know, all I did was put up pictures in my office and, and, and be willing to talk to somebody about them and, you know, help them plan a trip or two. It doesn't yeah. seem like that much, but here you've got, you know, second generation saying, you know, keep doing what you're doing because it made an impact. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, I don't like to think about that story too often because, you know, my friend passed away, sure. but um, whenever I need to think about, you know, motivation and is, is this really impacting anybody or, you know, having an, any kind of a, uh, you know, an impact on people, it, you know, it's nice to remember that story, but I hope that, you know, for me and for others that, that you know, that's not the only one, like that's the only one where someone has said that to me, but I, I hope and imagine over the years that as, if, as other people have looked at my photographs that, you know, they, they have had some kind of an impact, maybe not that dramatic, but you never know. And, mm. and so hopefully other people will, you know, see that just put your work out there, be willing to talk about it and, and share and help people. And you just never know what kind of a, you know, what kind of an impact you might have on somebody's life. Yeah. I th thanks for sharing that story. I think, you know, that that's really powerful, um, example of kind of what we were talking about in terms of, you know, does, does your photography have to have a deeper purpose than just what, what it is on the surface? Because, you know, it's going to mean something to, to somebody potentially. Um, and obviously in your case, it has, uh, it's interesting though. I, I've, I kind of want to challenge everyone listening. Like if someone's photography or their writing or, or, whatever has impacted you positively, make sure they know about it. Cause I think mm -hmm. that's part of the mm -hmm. issue is that we don't usually take the time to tell people those things like, Hey, mm -hmm. I saw your article or I saw your photos and it really m moved me or whatever. I think, you know, it doesn't take much to motivate, uh, motivate us to create things that we love. Um, and I think just getting that external validation like that sometimes can be, can be huge. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great challenge. That's a great idea. Yeah. Well, cool, Scott. So kind of winding down, I would love to hear about uh, your recommendations for people that we should be thinking about for guests on the podcast or just people that, that you think people should uh, check out um, their work. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Um, somebody that I, I think is really, really wonderful photographer is Huntington Witherell. 
Uh, he's a West Coast photographer. Uh, I encountered him back in 1996 as one of the assistants at this Bruce Barnbaum workshop that I mentioned. And Hunter just does wonderful work, uh, incredible landscape work, but also some other areas of sort of some fantastic floral things and just all kinds of stuff he gets into, but he still always comes back to the landscape. So uh, he's got a nice website. You can find uh, huntingtonwitherall.com and, and uh, you really enjoy him. And um, I, I think uh, my friend Laurent Martre, who's the publisher of the Photographing the Southwest series, um, he's got a nice website as well for his work. And, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, I highly recommend those books as well, those guidebooks, if you're, if you're heading out to the, the Southwest. And now I think he's got them from Washington and Oregon and California as well. So um, those are great resources. And of course, uh, I've always been inspired by the work of uh, Charles Kramer and and John Sexton. Um, These guys uh, teach a workshop together, uh, but just, you know, individually, just wonderful, wonderful work. Of course, John Sexton was one of Ansel Adams' uh, last assistants, and he just does beautifully sensitive uh, black and white uh, landscape prints and, and other subjects as well. And, um, and Char- Charlie's almost all color, Charlie Kramer, but, uh, just that same sense of, of beauty and they're both just master printers. Yeah, it was um, pretty awesome. I was just at, out of Yosemite with both of them and mm-hmm. it was a lot of fun talking to each of them and just I'll bet it was. hearing, got hearing them just give presentations and tell stories. I mean, it was, it was definitely, uh, inspiring. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, they. They both have had just an amazing life so far with with what they've been able to accomplish. And Charlie Charlie was one of those guys like Ansel who started out to be a concert pianist. Oh yeah, and I mean, he's actually at the Eastman School of Music pursuing his his degree in piano performance, I think. And all of a sudden, he just got hooked on photography. And I mean, I you know he finished his degree, but like he never looked back. He just went straight for, for landscape photography and has made his living that way ever since. And, um, he's, he's just a great guy. Yeah. 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 It was, um, he actually gave a presentation on some tricks in Photoshop, which is, is kind of funny, right? Like he's been around forever and he's, he's teaching people Photoshop tricks and he's, I even learned something I never even thought of before. So it was, it was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I my I first workshop with Charlie was 2003, I think, and it was digital printing for the, for the fine art photographer and you know that hybrid process of of shoot film but scan and then make make prints on an on an Epson uh was was kind of new at that time and and I've done nothing but since that time. So, uh-huh. it's been great. Uh the last guy I'll mention is Alan Brock. Is uh, a really nice large format photographer. He lives up in Tennessee and photographs in the Smokies and also in, in Zion most years. So uh, you would like Alan's work as well. Awesome. Well, Scott, uh, thank you so much for um, kind of telling some stories and giving us your perspective and just sharing your time with us generously. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me, Matt. It's It's been a lot of fun. I really appreciate the the opportunity. Yeah, no problem at all. All right. Well, thanks to Scott for joining me on the podcast for a great discussion. I really enjoyed it. Well, let's talk about who is coming up next on the podcast. I'm really excited to announce some of our upcoming guests and episodes. Next up, we have Ugo Che, the man behind the Closing the Gap podcast and Traveling Image Makers podcast. 
After that, we have Clay Bolt coming onto the show. He is a conservation photographer specializing in telling the stories of smaller creatures in nature, like bees and insects. We also have Sarah Lindsay. She's a talented Canadian photographer and Instagram sensation. And we'll be talking with my friend Chris Byrne. He's won many awards with his great aerial images and teaches workshops with my friend Gary Randall. Well, thanks to all of the fans who have reached out with podcast guest suggestions. I really appreciate that. To take it a step further, if you have a personal connection with someone that you want to hear on the podcast, send us both an email at the same time and make an introduction. I have found that that tends to work really well. Uh, As always, I'm always looking for new ideas for topics, especially outside of the realm of landscape photography, such as creativity, business, and things sort of related to photography. Just send me a direct message on Instagram. My handle is mattpainphoto. Well, one more thing before before we close out. I have noticed that there has been a dip and a slowing in subscriptions over on Patreon. And I'm sure that you guys are all tired of me talking about it, but this is the lifeblood of the podcast. We have over 3,000 weekly subscribers, but only 140 people financially support the show. Well, we have set a new goal of 200 subscribers by the end of 2020, so I hope that you'll join our other amazing 140 supporters to help keep this project alive. And just for fun, (laughs) if you're somehow independently wealthy we've added a new one thousand dollar a month tier my mom said to dream big so there you have it (laughs) cheers all right well that's all for now thanks for stopping in collaborating with us and listening see you next week